Hey guys, we are back. This is Interrupting Sports, episode two of season two. This week we got Numan Ashraf. He's an assistant professor teaching stream within the organizational behavior area at the Rotman School of Management. He possesses a broad range of interests with a specialized focus on enabling inclusive and innovative practices within teams, organizations, and boards. For the last decade and a half, he has held progressively senior roles at the University of Toronto, including most recently as the Director of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion in the Rotman School of Management. So it's been great having him as my professor. A great blessing. I hope you guys love this episode. So let's get right into the interview. All right, guys, welcome back. This is season two. This will be our episode two with me today. I'm so excited to have my professor, Professor Newman, on with me today. For those of you guys who don't know, arguably, not even arguably, by a long shot, best prof in Rotman right here, absolutely understands how to connect with students, convey a message and run a class. So definitely a fun time. Those of you who don't know, uh, personally, I have a Leading Across Differences course with Professor Newman here, runs every Friday. It's a great course, highly recommend you guys check it out. Um, and yeah, today we're gonna dive into a little bit more on the sports side. We're gonna talk about a relationship of diversity and inclusion. We have a great expert with us, so it's gonna be um, nice to get his insight and hopefully share it with you guys. And I hope you guys have lots to take away from this one because I already know it's gonna be a great conversation. So with that, welcome, Numan. Say hey, hi Ray, how are you doing? Yeah, we're great. How are you? Much the better for being here. I just want to say that, uh, dear audience members, uh, I am just a supporting cast. The real star is Ray. No, guys, too humble, too humble. Absolutely. This guy knows what's up. He's a godsend for what he has to offer. And you guys will agree with me after you hear this episode. Yeah, I mean, I just got to say, Ray, that I, I, I'm being very sincere when I say what I'm going to say next. Um, yeah, I just feel like this is the dialogue we need to have. And you know what? We don't have to wait to become experts in the space. But we need to observe and engage, right? And offer our perspectives. And I think this is the work of leadership. It has to be intergenerational. It has to be across experiences and has to speak across sectors this is why i think that your podcast is so important and that's why i'm having to lend my voice to it amazing so, so spread this podcast not just my episode all the episodes season one this season because i think that our dialogue gets richer when more people share it and participate in it so quit hating start participating you guys you heard it first Follow that, follow that like it's your mantra. Make that your personal affirmation of the day for you guys. I'm going to flip the table here for a second, Ray, if I may. Allow yeah, me to ahead. ask you a question. How does this podcast add to your happiness and your joy every day? Oh, that's a phenomenal question. Always happy to answer that one. I absolutely love this podcast because it reminds me with everyone I speak with, everyone I even have a conversation about uh, this podcast with. It reminds me why I do what I'm trying to do, and that is make a better space for sports for Black female athletes, specifically for me in hockey. That's what I'm passionate about in this space. And the reason that this podcast does this is because you're getting that that raw truth from everyone, and you're hearing 
the stories that everyone has to, to say and you're understanding how really interconnected everybody is. So that's what it does for me. Nice. And what is the one thing that surprised you, Ray, as you've done this work? Yeah, I would say so the surprise for me is honestly just how much there is to talk about. You, I think coming in, I had sort of a, some sort of a, Ex- expectation of what I had to say um, and what I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, and I realized the more I talked that I, there was just, it just, it never ends. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really understanding what to say and when it's time to say it that I recognized really matters. Amazing. Well, I, I just got to say, I am so proud of you, not only because you're Rock and Commerce leadership fam, but because you just feel like, uh, you know, this is, this is the best of challenging systems status quo by putting yourself out there and inviting others into the conversation so this is i just want to say brava to you thank you thank you okay let's let's turn the tables back on to you then okay um for a second here let's talk about first um let's just talk about your relationship with sports how how has that played a role in your life so I got to say, uh, I'm not sure you know this, but I started off my university education in the United States at a Big Ten school, and college sports are huge in the States, right? So the, the weekend football games, ridiculous. You know, interstate rivalries, fantastic. Conference championships, amazing. The Rose Bowl, like all that sort of stuff, it's amazing. I have a really interesting anecdote that I'll share with you. I was actually an employee of the NCAA as a student athlete tutor oh so wow I tutored the women's rowing team at the university of iowa uh, in math and stats and i learned something early on because i'm an early bird like who would want to get tutored at 7 a.m well the rowers would because they were out there at five or six or doing their thing and they would have their practice and be done by 7 30 had their breakfast and then we'd be on tutoring from 7 30 to 9 and that might and then my classes started after nine and i just feel that there's something that a lot of us kind of know intuitively, but we need to pay more attention to, which is the best athletes aren't the ones necessarily who have the most athletic promise or athletic ability. They're the ones who get out early and do the work. And in some ways, it's also true for leadership, you know? So this idea that leaders have these qualities, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm more a believer in leadership enablers and behaviors, right? And so that that's kind of my uh, piece into it. I mean... I also moved to, to, to Canada 30 years ago. So I have an interesting kind of professional sports uh, fan uh, story. I moved first through Broussard, Quebec, when I first moved from the United States. So I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. You know, if, if I'm on video and I say, Carrie Price, the price is always right. I've got an autograph signed here uh, for Carrie Price. So you got to represent the brand. I know, I know the season opener, the Habs lost the Leafs. I was just going to say. My, my son was there watching with his best buddy. Um, but you know, price wasn't in that. And I'm so proud of him that he's actually taking time for his mental health and for his well-being. Good for him. I think that's exactly the kind of leadership uh, that we need in sports. We will say, you know what, my health comes first, my well-being comes first, and they should do that. But I'm also a huge Toronto Raptors fan. Huge. And I think the Toronto Raptors story, right? Uh, under Dwayne Casey and now under Nick Nurse, but under Masai Ujiri in terms of leadership. It's quite the story. It's a story of what some people might say are the ones who've been counted out, who not just clawed back in, they got next and they kept next. You know, they, they, they won the championship, 
but they did it in a way that was an ode to the city, right? When you think about Serge Ibaka, right? When you think about all of just, you know, the great players that did their thing. And this was truly a transcontinental, transnational, international team. People speaking French and Spanish and English and, and, and so on and so forth. And just being able to take those, you know, media interview calls in so many languages was, was a testament to that. The Giants of Africa Foundation work, right, that Masai does, where he actually invests in. I mean, Pascal Siakam is a great example. He was actually at a Giants of Africa camp, right? And for him to be so loved and to be spicy pea here in Toronto, somebody who went kind of undrafted, you know, Fred Van Fleet. I mean, just, I mean, the, the stories could go on and on. And I just feel like it, it was that squad, that squad. And I, for sure, we, we got to give homage to, you know, Kawhi Leonard, right? Who I didn't think, by the way, would do anything when he came here, right? From, from the Spurs. But I think that's also homage to the fact it's not just about the superstar, it's about the team feel, right? So we can't forget Kyle Lowry, right? Who's now in Miami. But, you know, Kyle actually, I, I remember this one interview where he clearly had an open shot to dunk, right? And he passed it back to Kawhi. And then the, you know, the uh, journalist said, why would you do that? He said, let the hungry dog eat. Like, you know, the man's on, he's on a tier. Let him go. Let him go. Let him run up the, the personal points. I think that's what leaders do, right? So I think that that leadership piece, the captaincy, the Kawhi, that, that, that Kyle enabled, right? I mean, look, after, after Kawhi was done here, he went to the Clippers and, you know, not sure a lot happened. I think, I think uh, the reason I raise the Raptors piece is I've been to back-to-back days. I've been to a Leafs game on a Saturday night, and I've been to a Raptors game on a Sunday afternoon at the Scotiabank Arena. It's a different city that shows up. And, and I just want to pause here and recognize my own privilege in that last statement. I got to actually be in great seats for live sporting event, uh, professional leagues, back-to-back nights. That says a ton about what my access is and what I can afford and so on and so forth. So I just want to own that. And I just don't want to... No, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you mentioned that, especially coming to the access part, because I know once it comes to, you know, supporting professional teams, that looks different for everyone. Um, especially in, um, you know, it has nothing to do with your, your fandom or level of fandom. It's your circumstances. Sometimes it's what you're, what you're handed with. Um, and, and you know, what you can prioritize in terms of your, your lifestyle and, you know, obviously coming into the, the rank versus on the court, you're looking at a completely, I agree with you. That's a completely different experience from a fan. I mean, sport wise, you're already looking at differences that are just incomparable when you're talking about diversity, you're talking about acceptance and you're a sport that is welcoming of just anyone who really isn't white um, from a a basketball to hockey perspective, you know, it's out of the water um, when it comes there, but very interesting for you, like coming in to that perspective, I'm curious as to just building on that, what, um, what were those key differences for you? In those two events? That In I those two events, about? yeah. Um, it was an older, whiter crowd in the Leafs game. 
there was not a lot of racial diversity or socioeconomic diversity. I certainly felt the Raptors game was so much more racially diverse. Um, they were, there was a lot more spirit and vibe that was different. The music that, that was played was different and so on and so forth. Of course, I mean, you know, you saw the people that were in gold and platinum, I saw those too. Those didn't change very much. Mm-hmm. But in the general stands, you saw a difference. I also think that, this is my bias that's going to creep up, creep in here. I don't know. I feel like the Raptors is, are Toronto's team, the city's team. Well, the Leafs are, well, the, in Toronto, I'm not sure they're up Toronto. You that's know? 100% true. You know, this, this, this reminds me of class <laughs> now, now that you're bringing this up because it's, it's representing the community yeah. um, or lack thereof in the Leafs case. Um, yeah. No, a hundred percent. I agree. It's it's those who are actually involved in what make the city the city. And I think honestly, though, a big part of the Raptors for doing that um, is is part of the game. But I also think it's 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 Drake's endorsement as well, um, which comes in um, really just being that kind of symbol of the city. But then again, regardless of him, you would still blow the Leafs out of the water um, when it comes to who you're representing and people who want to show up because I think when people go to a Raptors game or just it, they see it on and they might care a little bit more than, than hockey, assuming they're not sports fans, yeah. just because they're seeing who they're, who they're supporting. Right. Absolutely. And, and so I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to say that um, athletes and citizens and leaders across the spectrum have responsibility and that responsibility is using their privilege to speak about things, about issues, about phenomena, about experiences that oftentimes don't get the play they deserve. You know, I remember when LeBron wore the teacher that I can't breathe, mm-hmm. right? Those iconic words from George Floyd at practice. What we're forgetting is the entire WNBA showed up in the practices with those first. So there's another disparity there. Who got the attention? Exactly. You know, see, and see, maybe, maybe you're right. I should have had you on for, for season one. We, uh, I did an episode on this talking about um, literally singling out the WNBA and how they kind of are the forefront of these movements um, that go unnoticed. Um, and then they're followed behind by those who are re- way more well-respected and have just taken more, um, more, more, more support for um, when it comes to these kind of movements. But then I think one thing I touched on and I get your opinion on this as well is um, not that LeBron isn't, doesn't feel strongly about these words or about the movement, but, you know, I feel like there's also a sense of obligation to support um, given that you see the, well, this is what the WNBA is doing and we're the NBA and we're not even doing this. So I, and I want to talk a bit about that. I think there is a huge difference, right, in experience between what I would call performative allyship and meaningful allyship. I would say to you that performative allyship kind of looks like, you know, we've got to put our logos together and so on and so forth. Meaningful allyship is saying, it is going to cost me something to say, say something here, but it needs to be said. Look, I'm going, to, I'm going to get very personal very quickly. As somebody who moved here from the United States, the thing that absolutely crushed me about George Floyd's murder was that 
wouldn't have to see someone die live in a recording first to appreciate and to understand what the lived experiences are of black individuals and other racially diverse individuals but anti-black racism is a particular form of racism in the united states and for that matter north america you know the new york times assembled a bunch of perspectives on it they actually took all of the uh, various cam camera angles and they put together 17 minute footage after the third minute i can watch anymore not only is it dehumanizing in some ways the last last gasps of george floyd are the last hopes of racial justice in society in some ways so I'm a, as you know, Ray, I'm a hopeaholic, self-admittedly so. But outrage, outrage is justified when we see that sort of thing happening, not only at the hands of those that are meant to serve and to protect us, but more fundamentally, that it doesn't phase people. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I ask myself another question. What are we learning from the uncovering of mass graves that speak to our experience as Canadians. We can go down a swirl of guilt and shame, or we can go into a place of deeper commitment and love, of saying that we can't speak about, we can't simply pretend like we care about Indigenous communities Maintain inward communities and not advocate. To me, advocacy is important. Yes, I understand that we just had the national, first national day on truth and reconciliation, also known as Orange Shirt Day, but we got to do more. Come to podcasts like this and raise this. Acknowledge that every day in my class, I talk about the fact that I have the privilege of working on the traditional lands of the Huron Mandat, the Seneca, and the Mississauga of the Credit, reminding myself that. I am a beneficiary of the wisdom, the generosity, and frankly, the patience of the indigenous peoples of this land. So, you know, those are not just meant to be reminders to others, but to ourselves. That if we don't recognize our privileges, we are very capable of taking them for granted. I'm sorry, I may have just taken you off course, but to me, that's, you know, that's what that's what sports advocacy justice have in common. It requires for us to use our platform to amplify the voices of those who don't feel like they belong or whose perspectives are often lost. No, I appreciate you taking this conversation in this direction, honestly, because I completely agree with you when it comes to, regardless of what we're talking about, sports, whatever area, it's foundation from these sort of circumstances and issues that we're seeing every day. And unfortunately, stories like George Floyd um, and uncovering mass graves of the indigenous people, that's, that's where it all begins. And it's what it's happening. It's, it's understanding that sports is simply a medium for these, these forms of racism, discrimination to transpire, right? Like it's, it's looking at it from a different facet, like, okay, maybe I'm not coming into a game and 
you know, you're seeing a black man killed out of that, but that doesn't take away from what's being faced because this individual is belongs to some, to some group. But even like, even saying that when I, when I kind of think of that, I'm, I'm, I was really resonating with what you're saying, because just, you know, as you were discussing, I was kind of thinking back to my experience um, handling news um, and, and everything going on. And, and a big thing for me was um, from at least my circle of friends and who I, who I sort of run with, everyone wanted an opinion from me. Um, And that was something that I, I wouldn't say I handled well, I would just say I was very overwhelmed with because I didn't know what to say because I was just so, so outraged. I was like, what is, what is there to say? Watch. And that, that was the biggest thing because at the end of the day, you're just, you're sad, you're outraged. And it's appalling to me that still one, that's what it takes, but two, it takes even more than that because that's, that's just what it takes for the moment for people to sort of open their eyes for a second. But like you said, one day of recognition isn't enough. One conversation isn't enough. It has to be continuous and it has to be growth. And you have to be willing, unfortunately, as an individual, you have to be willing to put yourself in a position to learn. And we can put all of these resources out there. We can advertise, we can, we can market it, but it's up to that person on the other end to really dive into it and take away what they choose to take away from those resources. And I also want to say just point blank that, you know, when people say, why are you so angry? I have a response today that I didn't used to have before when I was younger, your age, which is why aren't you more loving? That's why I'm angry. Why aren't we more loving to those who are systemically, structurally, and strategically excluded? I'm going to quote Jimmy Baldwin, who Malcolm X referred to as the poet of the revolution. He reminded us that love takes off the masks we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. I think that we do have to show up with love for the disenfranchised, for the excluded, for the marginalized. I don't think that the homeless are the problem. Homelessness and the conditions that create it, that's the problem. When we think about underachievement across generations in certain parts of our population, we need to ask the question, who is the education system failing? Why is it? that we don't see a sense of outrage, morally and otherwise, about the ways in which things are systemically imbalanced. So to me, love is the answer. I love that, I completely agree. And that's that's exactly what, you know, guys, we're trying to take away from here, like, yeah, you know, it's raw, it's difficult, it's disheartening to hear. It is. It's a very tough conversation. But what I take away from this is not a theme of outrage, discrimination, barriers. You know, those are, you know, they're, they're, they're words that float around and they're um, rightfully so. But I, I agree the common solution 
And theme here really is love because once you're really focused on that, yeah. you'll notice all those things sort of float away. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really getting to that stage of really getting that in people's minds and understanding that, you know, we're not bringing you down by bringing us up. Um, that, that kind of theme, it's, it's really just, no, we're, we're welcoming all. And, yeah. um, and that all stems from, from an, uh, you know, an association with, with love. So I, I'm very happy that you mentioned that. Um, happy to, so we talked a lot about, you know, how we're, we're the foundation of all these barriers, discrimination lies, and sort of um, how that relates to sports. Let's talk about what the role, in your, your opinion, the role of sports or the role of athletes, um, what, what role do they play sort of in this cultural movement? I'll say to you that uh, there, there's something that we haven't touched on yet. We've kind of in, you know, made inferences at it, but let's talk about it explicitly. We're now talking about a celebrity culture in which athletes have brands. And these brands have massive equity, but they also have massive influence, right? So when I think about Steph Curry and his choice to actually work with Under Armour and to have a more affordable sneaker, that's that something to me. But I, I want to go back to the OG who did that with Hakeem Olajuwon with the Houston in Rockets and retired, by the way, as a Raptor, right? Who ensured that his sneakers were under 40 bucks, I think, right? Whichever deal that he signed he wanted to make sure that he wasn't making his brand and his product inaccessible to those who needed inspiration by saying, I too can be like a team. I think that athletes need to recognize the power of their brands in a way. So I, so I, don't, want, I don't want to make them feel somehow they owe it to us to be ambassadors of causes they don't believe in. But I hope they recognize that they can move minds, hearts, and societal values. And I hope that they do something with that. So back to your question, Ray, I think sports needs to recognize inequities both within it and outside of it and do something about it. But I don't think it's just a charity model. It's an activism model. That's what I'm talking about. No, I you put that like perfectly well said, I think the one thing that comes with fandom that we all need to recognize is the influence that it has, right? That's, that's really where it lies. Like why, if you're coming up and you're, you know, you offer athletes telling their story, starting where they started from and yeah. now where they've ended up. And like, wouldn't you think that's what you would want to use your platform for? Yeah. Um, and I think really it's not that they they don't know or they don't, they don't recognize that they should, but it's maybe along the way they've forgotten where they started from and why that kid who started off needed a person to to look up to and why now it's their job to play that role. So hopefully, you know, by having conversations like these, we're we're reminding everyone of the role that that plays and why it's so influential. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I do think that's important. I do think that's, that's valuable for us to pay attention to. Ray, I know I've taken a lot of your time, but I want to play a song as we wrap up our interview. Ready for this? I'm ready.
Out of James reminding us of a promising future that awaits us. I hope that we're closer to pay equity across sports and genders. We're closer to recognition of the fact that athletes and sports organizations have responsibilities to societies. I hope we're closer to recognizing that role modeling is not the same thing as model minority pressures. Recognizing that um, beyond the charity model, we need to embrace an activism model. I am inspired, Ray, by athletes, advocates, and leaders like yourself who create, amplify, and share content that gets us to be conscious and more deliberate. I thank you for the leadership that you bring, I see you, I value you, I stand with you. Thank you, Numan. I really appreciate having you on the show. And I'm sure after this, we'll get lots of response coming my way saying that Numan knows where it's at and knows what's up. And I'll be sure to pass that along. It's always great talking to you again. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing all of your insights so grateful. I, I swear I learned something new every single time I have a conversation with you. So I'm very blessed and grateful to have that. It's my pleasure. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Hope you guys loved it. Hit us up, Interrupting Sports on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, LinkedIn. You guys know where to find us and share this with your friends. Spread the word like Numan said. This is the type of conversation we need to have to keep this positive change going. Hope you guys have a great week. See you next week.